You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now go to Proverbs chapter 30, which is our scripture reading for this morning. The sayings of Agur, son of Jaka, an oracle. This man declared to Itiel, to Itiel and to Ukal, I am the most ignorant of men. I do not have a man's understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the name of his son? Tell me if you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Do not slander a servant to his master, for he will curse you and you will pay for it. There are those who curse their mothers and do not bless, or curse their fathers rather, and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. The eye that mocks a father, that scorns obedience to a mother, will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley will be eaten by the vultures. There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Under three things the earth trembles, Under four, it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, Yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. 
There are three things that are stately in their stride. Four that move with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts, who retreats before nothing. A strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king with his army around him. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. This morning we find our text in verses 15 and 16 of Proverbs 30. Let's read those words together again. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four that ever say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. Beloved congregation of Christ Jesus our Lord, back at home in my study I have a a few books that all contain the same story. Sure, the details are oftentimes different, but the basic story is almost exactly the same each time. It goes something like this. This is just one example of the story. Jim, my wife said as I walked in the door, I want you to make a decision. Putting a quart of whiskey on the table, she gave me an order demanding that I make a choice. This bottle or our marriage, she demanded. That's easy, I replied. I picked up the bottle. I'll see you later. My two daughters came out of the bedroom. They were only four and five at the time. Daddy, please don't go, they cried. Daddy, don't go. I walked to the front door, picking them up. Honey, I love you very much, but I have to leave. That's all I said. With that, I walked out the door, never to see them again for 17 years. That's the story. Now, the story has variations. Some people do it over cocaine or some other drug. Others do it for sex or gambling. Regardless of the details, the end of the matter is that they do something completely foolish for the sake of one more. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that can see themselves in the story. And, you know, it's not here in the sermon to point at anybody that you or I might know. The story is here to point to a problem. And before you think that it isn't your problem, I'd ask that you please think again. Because I know for myself, speaking personally, that this text was one of the toughest texts I've ever had to work through. And it's not because it's so hard to understand. We'll see that when you you look at it, it's fairly clear. But it's difficult because of the way it points the finger at me. And it makes me very uncomfortable. I know what it says, and part of me just doesn't like it. God's Word does that. Sometimes reading the Bible is just like walking through a forest of poison ivy with only your shorts on. It does that for us whether our problem is a quart of whiskey 
or some other secret sin we struggle with that nobody else knows about. And we all have those sins, don't we? We would die of embarrassment if all our sins were exposed to the whole church. Imagine if our thoughts were laid open and people could see our bitterness, our uncharitability, our lusts. We would be squirming. Just imagine if everybody could see the prideful way we sometimes criticize other people. And if we don't express that with our words, it's still in our minds. All our nice veneer would be gone, the appearances would be gone, and people would see us for who we really are. Oftentimes, we love our sins. And we go back to them time and again, like an old friend. And sometimes it gets pretty ugly, doesn't it? You do the thing you hate, and then what? You end up doing it again and again. The cycle seems to be endless. It's downright frustrating. And you don't need to be enslaved to a bottle to know what that's about. All you have to do is be human. And the older you are, the better you should know it. If you're honest, then you know that this is about you and me. In a certain way, Jim's story is your story and, and my story. His foolishness often plays out in our lives in a, in a similar way, though, though perhaps not, not as dramatically. We make foolish choices to continue in sin even when we know better. And so our text speaks to us, the congregation of Christ. And I proclaim to you God's word this morning with this theme, God's answer to the riddle of the one more leech. And we'll see, first of all, the past hopelessness of this riddle. Second, the present reality of this riddle. And then finally, the future final solution to this riddle. Our text is here in Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30 is a what we could call a self-contained chapter of the book of Proverbs written by a, a certain Agur, son of Jaka. We know nothing about him other than what's written in verse 1. There have been many guesses about his identity. Many scholars believe that he was a non-Israelite. But all that is, is just speculation. God has not revealed Agur's identity to us. And we can be happy with the knowledge that this isn't important. What is important is that he was clearly a man who feared God and who knew something of the wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. With the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he made a number of observations and he wrote them down. Here in this chapter, they've been providentially preserved for us. Through much of this chapter especially what we read in verses 1-17, through 17, we find that Agur alludes to a number of God's commandments. For instance, in verse 9, he speaks about theft. In verse 10, we find slander. And in, excuse me, in verse 11, he speaks about disrespecting one's parents. What's clear then is that Agur is making observations, several observations about sin in its various forms. This helps us to understand the riddle of our text. 
It helps because Agur's observations about sin continue with our text. He's seen a leech. Maybe he was down by a river or a lake somewhere and, and one latched onto his leg. Maybe you've seen them too. Maybe you've had the same experience. If you have, you may know that, that leeches are, are great bait for fishing, but very ugly. And personally, maybe you do, but I don't know anybody who's ever had a pet leech. Most leeches are blood-sucking water dwellers. They attach themselves to creatures who pass by and then they feed off their host's blood. All they do is suck and destroy. Their whole purpose in life is to take more and more so they can produce more and more of their own. Now, Agur tells us that the leech has two daughters. These two are always crying out, Give! Give! They don't even say please. Greedy little things. And from the way this is expressed in the original text, it appears that these two daughters are actually two body parts of the leech. The leech has two sucking discs at each end of its body. And with these two sucking discs, it latches on to a host and then it bites in and sucks the blood. Those appear to be the two daughters mentioned in our text. And so we're not really looking at three leeches here, but we're looking at one leech with two parts. This makes sense because there would be little likelihood that Agur himself would observe two baby leeches with their mother. After all, many leeches do not actively raise their young, of which there are usually much more than two. And so it seems pretty clear that Agur was looking at a single leech with its two sucking discs. But enough about leech anatomy. Let's ask the question, what does the leech have to do with anything? Well, Agur notes that the leech is only concerned with taking, commanding others to give. And from what follows in our text, it's clear that this is an endless cycle. Verse 15b speaks of three things that are never satisfied and four that never say enough. That way of speaking means that, that Agur could say much more, but he's only going to give four examples. And these four examples will make it clear what he's trying to get at. <coughs> and so what do all these examples have in common with each other and with the leech? Well, brothers and sisters, it all comes down to the terrible fact of sin in human existence. Look at the grave, for instance. Sheol is the word used there in Hebrew. You can see that from the note at the bottom of your Bible. The grave or, or Sheol, death, would not exist if it were not for sin. Then we have the barren womb. The barren womb, the woman who can't have children. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Women were created to bear children. 1 Timothy 2.15 even goes so far as to say that women will be saved through childbearing. 
Salvation is directly connected with the fruitful womb. You can see countless examples in Scripture of how a barren womb was considered to be a curse. The barren womb is therefore connected with sin. Now don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that it is always the direct result of some specific sin of a specific person, as if a a woman who can't have children, as if that's her fault. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that just like cancer and depression and all kinds of other things, it's the general result of sin in the world. The same can be said for the land which is never satisfied with water. The Bible tells us in Psalm 104, verse 13, that God does indeed normally satisfy the earth with water. So our text is describing an abnormal situation, one of drought. Drought is a covenant curse directly related to sin. And finally, the fire, which never says enough. If you know your Old Testament... It's pretty difficult not to make a connection here to what we read in Isaiah 66, 24. It's actually the the last verse of Isaiah. And they will go out and look upon the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched. The unquenchable fire is mentioned several times in both the Old and the New Testament. It points to hell as the ultimate punishment for sin. From all these examples, we see that sin's character is to always want more. That's where the connection to the leech is. More and more. Give, give. The grave and death are relentlessly pursuing the human race. Many people even give themselves over to to death. They get involved with, with violence as entertainment. The barren womb causes women to want and never be satisfied. Think only of Rachel's cry in Genesis 30, verse 1. Give me children or I die. Constant craving. The parched land always needs more water. Unlike at creation where where the whole earth was watered in a special way. After the fall into sin came drought and famine. Finally, Hell and the devil are always demanding more souls and doing what they can to achieve that goal. Sin, with all its results and all its consequences, is like the greedy leech that always wants one more. One more body in the grave. One more barren womb. One more drop of rain. One more soul in hell. There is never any satisfaction for the evil one. He always wants one more. And He wants us to want more of what He wants. And so it is, brothers and sisters, that Agur paints a hopeless picture of the reality of sin for the people of the Old Covenant. There was the endless cycle of life and death. There was endless sin. Drought and famine, if you look through the Old Testament, they occurred from time to time as expressions of God's wrath against sin. Death and misery were all around. People died as as they do now. This was his observation. 
Not unlike the observation made by the preacher in Ecclesiastes, that the observation that all is vanity. The leech, that horrible, black, ugly creature, is a metaphor for human life and experience under the grip of sin. The riddle of the leech teaches us that sin takes all it can from human life and gives absolutely nothing in return. And with that in mind, we can see how this text is a loud moaning cry for the the coming of Jesus Christ. Only He could put an end to this cycle of death and misery. Only He could put salt on the leech, so to speak. He was and He is the answer to the hopelessness expressed in this riddle. The once for all of Jesus Christ destroyed the one more of the leech, that child of the serpent. That's the way it is in principle. But in practice, the riddle remains for us. And that's what we're going to see in our second point as we consider the present reality of this riddle. And so Christ has come. He suffered, died, and rose from the dead send it into heaven. In all that, He crushed the head of the serpent and He poured salt on the serpent's ally, the leech. It's all true. But yet, the reality of the the, the riddle of the leech remains for us a disturbing reality. It's there in our everyday lives. You know it as well as I do. Just to take the examples of Agur, the things that he observed, we still see death consuming more and more. We still find women in our own churches as well who for one reason or another, through no fault of their own, usually can't bear children. Even with all our modern irrigation systems, drought still has the potential to cripple us, just as it does with many other nations in the world. And if all that is not enough, there is still the fire of hell. Demanding more. And all these things, the unholy trinity of sin, death, and Satan are demanding more and more today. And so often, we are willing accomplices. The congregation of Jesus Christ is quite often never satisfied. Quite often we'll say to ourselves, I'm going to do it just this one more time and then I'll promise God never to do it again. And one more time becomes one more time. It seems like you can never say, enough, I've had my fill of sin. We become trapped by that leech who sucks our spiritual blood and the problem is that we actually enjoy it. You see, brothers and sisters, our text this morning is here in God's Word to convict us of our sin, to humble us before God. Doesn't it break your heart? Break your heart to realize that your life is affected by this leech and you're a part of it. You've allowed it to be this way. Remember the dream that Pharaoh had in Genesis 41? 
There were seven ugly, gaunt cows, and they ate up the seven fat cows. Our lusts, our desire for sin is just like those thin, ugly cows. After they ate the seven fat cows, they were, they were just as hungry and whining as before. Sin always demands more and more of you until it totally envelops your life and being. And then quite often you don't even realize that it's happened. That's the way it often is. Let me ask you, does it have to be like that? You know, that's where there's good news, brothers and sisters. It doesn't have to be like that at all. Remember that the book of Proverbs quite often makes observations about life, simply telling us the the way things often are. But they are not necessarily hard and fast rules of life. Like the Ten Commandments. And that's where there's hope in our text. Particularly for those of us who live after the coming of Jesus Christ. He broke the cycle. He made satisfaction for our dissatisfaction. For our always wanting more. For our love affair with sin. With His precious blood, there is satisfaction. He broke the power of the grave with His glorious resurrection. He put out the fires of hell for those who believe in Him. And then we're also expected to find our satisfaction and contentment in Him and in our union with Him by true faith. If we draw that out as to what that means, for one thing, that means that we have to put to death that sinful nature which always demands more and more of us. Because that sinful old nature that lives in each one of us is a good buddy to the one more leech. It's never satisfied. And so it has to be crucified according to what Paul teaches in Romans 6. Putting off that old sinful leech-like nature is not meant to leave us naked. Now by the same token, putting off that old nature, crucifying it, means that we're also commanded to put on the new nature after Christ. Now that sounds great, and we've heard that many times. But how do we do that in practical, concrete terms? Well, it begins with something really obvious. But still needs to be said. It begins by humbly listening to what the Bible teaches us. Being teachable. Learning about things from the Scriptures. Things like developing habits and patterns of self-discipline and self-control. We have to put aside ourselves and our selfish interests. We have to put aside the good feeling we get from our sins. Hate it. Put God's kingdom first. Not wanting more and more for ourselves, but wanting what God wants. Living out of union with Christ. Wanting what Christ wants. And that involves the great virtue of self-control. You have to say no to your sinful desires, even when it hurts. Or when you're not going to get the satisfaction that you've been used to. 
It also means that you have to practice what we could call radical amputation. Maybe you haven't heard of that before. Maybe you have. The Lord Jesus taught us to cut off anything that leads us away from Him. That's radical amputation. Sometimes if we're going to make progress in holiness, there are things that we have to get rid of. Sometimes there are relationships that we have to leave behind. That's radical amputation. Cutting off anything that leads us away from Christ. And then there's also continually repenting before God that that we haven't been passionate enough about Christ. We haven't been passionate enough about the the things that Christ loves and the things that Christ wants. Are we willing to do that? You have to be. Because surely you see, don't you, how stupid and how foolish sin is, don't you? Just like that leech, it will suck your blood dry. Without Christ, sin will kill you. And the unquenchable fire will also find you as its fuel. Brothers and sisters, it is possible to get the beginnings of self-control and get the edge on the one more leech. By God's grace and with the Spirit of Christ in you, you can work towards it. But Scripture teaches that you need the help of others. As we learn from Philippians 1, the struggle of believers against sin has to take place in the communion of saints, in the church. You know, we're not taking the struggle for self-discipline and a godly pattern of life seriously. We're not taking it seriously if we think we can do it all by ourselves. You need someone to help you, to mentor you, Someone to whom you can be accountable. Someone who can encourage you on the right ways and and, and give you a kick in the pants with love when you go on the wrong ways. And that's true. That, That means that you have to make yourself vulnerable. And sometimes that's very hard to do in our community. It takes courage. Especially if others have hurt you in the past hurt you when you did confess your sins and weaknesses and you did open up. How do we get around that? That barrier to growth and and holiness? Well, it starts with us as a congregation, as a whole and also individually, each and every member, resolving to be gentle and to be kind with one another when we open up to each other. Realizing with humility that our struggles are more the same than they are different. We have to be willing to be vulnerable so that we can grow together in holiness. Because that's what God calls us to do, brothers and sisters, also by means of this text. He wants us to be convicted of our sins, but He doesn't want us to stop there. He wants us also to grow in Him and through Christ. And that's hard. But it's not impossible. And we know that we're never going to reach perfection in this life. Yet we still have to make it our aim to please God and to thank Him. Show our love to Him for making satisfaction for our sin with His Son. 
With that in our hearts, we can look in faith to the one who has said, Enough. It is finished. Let's hear more about that in our third point as we hear about the future final solution to this riddle. (coughs) The present reality of this riddle gives us reason for self-examination. It also gives us the proverbial kick in the pants to get motivated about living in God's ways. At the same time, our present reality is filled with the knowledge of what Christ has done, and that in turn gives us a hope for the future. We know that at this moment we have our struggles. We have the never-ending fight against sin. By God's grace, you, you win one battle and then you're quickly faced with another. You think you have your lusts under control and, and then pride comes into your life. You think you have your gluttony under control and then you become vain. You get your gossip under control and then you become materialistic. And so on and on it goes. It gets tiresome. It's like being on a treadmill that never stops. Imagine that there was no end to this. Life would be vain and futile. There would be no end point, nothing to look forward to. That scripture tells us plainly that such a thought is wrong. Agur didn't know half of what we do today. However, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the one who inspired Agur, he did know everything. If Agur was a faithful believer, we can be sure that he had the messianic hope, looking for the one who would redeem God's people from their sins. But we are much more blessed because we know that the Redeemer has come and has done his work. Actually, we can say that better. He's done most of his work. Because you see, there is still yet work to be done. There is a future final solution to this riddle of the one more leech. We can look forward to the the grave being a thing of the past. We eagerly anticipate the time when, when barren wombs will concern us no longer. Drought will be a thing of the past and the unquenchable fire will be out of sight and out of mind. It is a certain fact that Jesus Christ will return. He will accomplish the ultimate and final victory over the unholy trinity, sin, death, and Satan. It's guaranteed for us here in the Bible. And this is not pie-in-the-sky theology that has no relevance for today. As if you say, okay, well, that's all very nice, but doesn't really matter for what I do. No. The coming of our Lord Jesus gives us something to look forward to as we battle with the one more leech. Also, as we struggle for self-control in our lives. You think only of what's written in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. There's an end in sight. When Jesus Christ will be revealed at His second coming. So Peter says, set your hope fully on that and be self-controlled. 
If there would be no end, we, we might tire out and, and give up. But when we know the end is coming, like when you're running in a race and you can see the finish line off in the distance, then we become more diligent. We have motivation to keep going. There comes an urgency. So the next time the the struggle with the one more leech comes in your life, think about the coming of our Savior. He's going to return soon. Be ready for His return. And fight against your sins all the harder. Looking forward to it. Doing that out of the power of His Holy Spirit. Out of your union with Him. You should also think of how the coming of Christ shows us who is really important in our lives. To illustrate what I mean here, think of how easily we get thrown off our sinful tracks when someone we love, like our spouse or our children, catches us right before we do some kind of sin. Our ungodliness can be revealed by their appearance, and and so we're shamed into not sinning. Well, then give thought to how much more we would be ashamed to be caught by Christ at His coming. Let that thought motivate you to throw some salt on that leech demanding more from you. And finally, brothers and sisters, don't ever try to rationalize or excuse that one more leech in your life by saying things like, I'm only human. I can't help it. That's not scriptural thinking. That's not God's way. When Christ returns, you will still be human but you will be perfect. Then we will reach what we are supposed to be. We will have true humanness, the way God created us to be. We will have unhindered fellowship with God and and our neighbor. Being recklessly self-indulgent and being enslaved to the leech of sin, that's not what God intended for us. That means that today we have to start aiming for what we will later be. And again, we do that by the grace of God. We do that by the Spirit of Christ working in us. We do that working out of the power and strength of our union with Christ. By the grace of God, you can work at it. If you want to put it in a blunt way, Think of something else that we're told in the the book of Proverbs. And when we give ourselves over to the one more leech, we're acting like animals, not humans. Proverbs says it very bluntly in 26.11. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. It's okay for dogs to go back to their vomit and lick it up. We're disgusted by that. But it's a dog. Dogs do that. But people were not created to do that. They were created to be vessels for God's glory. And so that means that right now they have to start living like that. The Bible shows us how. And it tells us that we can. And so you see, beloved the future final solution gives us hope. 
When we're caught up in a web of sin in our lives, there is a way out. Remember from the beginning of the sermon, talked about Jim, the one who left his, his wife and his daughters over a quart of whiskey. That was a true story. And he did find a way out. He found freedom in Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus, by His Spirit and His Word, He'll lead us out too. He will also lead us to ever-increasing measures of freedom in our lives. As long as we live on this earth, there will always be a struggle with sin. But that one more leech does not have to be a soul-sucking force in your life. With Christ and His Word, there is a way to change. There is hope and there's salvation. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.